Welcome to the Gateways Beyond International Podcast, featuring inspirational teaching from our ministry bases in the nations. For more information, please visit us online at gatewaysbeyond.org. Zechariah chapter 4, if you would open there in your Bibles. Hallelujah. Zechariah 4 and verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of the armies of heaven. This is at verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, we've heard a lot of messages on this passage to do with not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit. We've heard a lot about shouts of grace, grace. But what I want to emphasize in these verses this morning is the question that's asked, Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? And I want, to, I want to pose that question to us this morning. There are mountains in front of our lives. And those mountains, some of them represent big vision that God has given us that's impossible for us to accomplish in and of ourselves. And some of it is the war that's against us, those mountains that, that are standing of the, the strongholds of the enemy. And that we need to see a way through. We need to see the Lord deal with on our behalf. And so there's this question that's asked. Who are you, O great mountain? Who are you, great mountain? I want you just to allow the Holy Spirit to highlight in your own heart this morning. What is that mountain that is about to be leveled? What is that mountain that will become a plain before you? As you find yourself standing in the middle of your destiny, as you find yourself standing in the place of obedience before the Lord, you find yourself brought to a point in your history in God, and you're there and you say, yes, I've signed up, I'm willing, I'm obedient, I'm available to you, but there's a mountain in front of me. And the word of the Lord today and of the Holy Spirit is to say, who are you, O mountain, before Zerubbabel? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. You're going to be leveled. You see, Zerubbabel was a descendant of David, and he had a promise in his lineage that was given to King David that said that of your descendants, there will be always one who will sit upon the throne of Israel. But he's come from exile. He's come from being, being scattered out of the land of promise. And the Lord gathers together. Some men that will come back and they'll be a part of the restoration of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. They'll be a part of the restoration of the temple and the restoration of the city. So God raised up men like Nehemiah with a vision when he saw the walls of the city broken down and he saw the gates that had been burned. He grieved in his heart and he went before the king as the king's cupbearer and he had sorrow in his heart because he was saying, Lord, Jerusalem is to be a cup of praise. Jerusalem is to be a symbol of your glory in the earth and its walls are broken down 
And God raised up Nehemiah, and he raised up the prophet Haggai, and he raised up Zechariah to prophesy, and he raised up Zerubbabel. He raised up Joshua, the son of the high priest. There are visions in front of us today. Some of them are Zerubbabel visions to build the house of the Lord, to rebuild the temple, to restore the foundations of the place of the presence of the Lord, that the glory of God might shine forth unhindered. And there are Nehemiah-type visions. They're saying that the walls of the city are broken and its gates are burned and I have sorrow of heart. Lord, I restore my city. Restore the borders that you have established for my city. There are Joshua type of visions, the son of the high priest. Restore your order of righteousness. Restore purity to the priesthood. Restore a viable witness, O oh God, in the land. In the place of my promise, in the place of my inheritance. And Zerubbabel is facing an impossible vision. The temple is broken, it is burned, it has been pillaged and destroyed. It's a task that seems bigger than he can handle. And the word of the Lord comes to him. And it says, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit. And before Zerubbabel, this great task, this great mountain will become a plain. What are the great mountains that are standing before you, the impossible tasks? The strongholds of the enemy that must come down for you to step into your inheritance, to step into your destiny, to live fully as a family, as an individual, in your community, here as a church, and the callings of God in each of these areas, each of these spheres of life. We ask the question today, who are you, O great mountain? who stands before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. You will be leveled. Years ago, my wife and I were on a journey of adoption, and we lived in Cyprus, and the Lord put it on our hearts to adopt our children from Ethiopia. And Levi and Noah are in the children's program right now, so you can know that the story has a good end to it. They are gifts and treasures to us. But as we began to explore this path of adoption, we began to talk to social workers, and we began to talk to specialists that deal with American citizens living abroad, trying to do an international adoption according to the laws of three different countries. An East African country, Ethiopia, a European Union country, Cyprus, and then the United States, of which they, that would be the whole process would run through. And we contacted our agency, and they said, to be honest, we don't really know how to do all of this. We don't know how to navigate all these different laws and these requirements. We can tell you the U.S. side, and we can point you in the right direction for Ethiopia and for that program. But you're going to have to figure out Cyprus. I mean, we ended up having to fly a social worker to do a home study into our house in Cyprus. And the Lord met us each step of the way, but we were in a long paper pregnancy. We were in years of longing and waiting to have that fruitfulness for our family. 
And there were many long seasons where we would hear nothing or we're waiting back for a document. We're waiting to, to have communication from one country to the next. And over a period of a number of years, we were like, Lord, is this going to happen? So many in our community were praying with us. We would get documents and we'd bring them to the worship room before we'd mail them out. And people would lay hands on them together and, and we'd say, Lord, just send this to the right person. Let, this, let it work this time. And it was an impossible task in many ways. First of all, we're living by faith. And what we needed to raise the funds alone was, it seemed like impossibility. And then to prove income and all of those kinds of things. But the Lord made a way at each step of the way. But we got to a point where we hadn't heard something for a while. We were waiting on our referral. And I had a dream. And in that dream, I was standing on a path. And it was a narrow path, and it was going forward. And in front of me in the dream was a huge mountain. And I was looking at that mountain in the path, and I began to have a conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, it was settled a long time ago that there's no turning back, and there's no turning to the left or to the right. I'm yours. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk according to the path that you have destined for my life. But I don't know what to do about this mountain. I don't know how to get through it. I don't know how to get over it. And I can remember in the dream, because it was a God encounter dream. Most of my dreams are not so much prophetic imagery or symbolism, but they're encounters with God, where I wake up in his presence, is resident on my body and in the room. And I'm there standing looking at this huge mountain in front of me. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to get through this obstacle. And at that moment, I began to feel a sound. Okay, I didn't get my words wrong. I began to feel a sound, a shaking and a rumbling I couldn't see anything. I was just looking at the mountain in front of me. But I began to feel this, this movement in the air and this movement on the ground. And from behind me, only way that I can describe it, it was as if the armies of heaven were raising a shout and a war cry. And I began to feel the power of God behind me. But I'm looking at this impossibility in front of me. I began to feel something rising up of an energy and a force and a rumbling in the spiritual realm behind. And I still was just looking at this huge mountain in front of me. And then a shout began to be formed. And I heard it from behind coming. And the shout said this, the Lord our God is mighty. And when I heard the sound of that mighty shout and that rumbling of the armies, the witnesses of heaven, the armies of the Lord of hosts behind me, I felt the power of God come from that testimony of the shout. And it went, I felt it come over my back and across my head. And in a moment, the mountain was leveled. It was decimated. At the shout of the Lord. At the shout of the armies of the hosts of heaven. And they cried out, the Lord our God is mighty. That was enough. That was enough to level the mountain. And I was thinking about this verse this morning, and I remembered that dream, and I was, oh, God, there are mountains in front of me even now. It's not enough just that this was a testimony 
from years past of a dream. So what happened was I woke up the next morning with this encounter in my heart, and we received the referral for our children in the mail. What we had been waiting for, what had seemed like an impossibility that we've been waiting for years to come to pass, in a moment when the shout of the Lord was released and the power of God was released, the mountain was leveled. And when it was leveled in the dream, I just heard the Lord speak quietly in my ear. Walk on. Walk on. Keep going. I've got your back. I've got the way covered. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for releasing the sound of the Lord this morning that shakes the foundations of mountains that stand in the way of our inheritance, of our destiny, of our purposes before you. Father, we thank you, Lord God. I just believe that the Lord is showing The Lord is releasing even some some of the big visions that he's given you that you've almost dared not to dream. You dare not to even speak it out. You're like, I'm holding back. I don't know. This is so big. Is it really possible? Is it presumption for me to be able to dream such a big dream? But the Lord says, who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. You will be leveled. Thank you, Lord. Last Sunday, I walked into a church service, and I looked towards one of the pastors of the church there, and I had an impression from the Lord the moment that I saw him, and it was a funny thought, but it was like, he looks like he's seen a ghost. There was something of the after effect. Of intimidation from the enemy. I looked at him. I just began to pray. Ask the Lord for breakthrough. And sure enough, during the worship, he got up and he said, I had a battle this week where the enemy came to intimidate me. And began to highlight problem and impossibility and challenge after challenge and problem after problem. He said, and I couldn't break out of seeing all those impossibilities. It was like a Goliath in front of me that seemed impossible to get through. After the service is able to go and to minister and to pray and to stand with him for that breakthrough and to see that coming. And it made me think, you know, we're born into a war. Whether we realize it or not, there is an epic battle that's been going on from times past, way before our generations, going back to the beginning of days between light and darkness, between heaven and hell, between God and the enemy. And we're born into that battle. And at the beginning, the enemy 
has sought to keep us from our inheritance, from our destiny, from the promises of God, from the way that God intends. And often, we're just doing life, and we attribute challenges just to the stuff of life, and we don't realize that we are in a spiritual war, and that we need a spiritual breakthrough. It's not just our own understanding. It's not just thinking good thoughts. It's not just trying to work through our issues and our stuff or the challenges of life. But we realize that the enemy has come to lie, to kill, to steal, to destroy. But Yeshua, Jesus, he said when he came to the earth, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. And we have to wake up and realize that we're in a battle. We have to wake up and realize... That there's a fight to be fought. And sometimes in our Western good Christian mentality, that we, we play so nice. And we let the enemy beat us up. And we attribute it to, you know, character development or things like that. We need to be conformed to the image of Christ. But we also must realize that we were invited to participate in an epic battle that we know the end of the story, but we, we can have victory today. There's a battle to be fought. And sometimes we just got to get angry and realize that the enemy is out to kill us. He's out to destroy us. He's out to lie to us. He's out to steal from us. And there's a fight to be fought. Sometimes when things get a little stagnant, we need to pick a fight. Often we have such a defensive posture. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. For the pulling down of strongholds, of breaking the back of the enemy's bondage in our lives, that we can come to a place where we say, this far and no more. I'm not having any more of your lies. I'm not having any more of this generational bondage. It stops here. It stops here for my children and my children's children. It will not be passed on because of the blood of Jesus. That I will appropriate the blood of Jesus in my life. And I, th I was thinking about the story that we know so well from Sunday school. In 1 Samuel 17, we have the story of young David. When he comes to bring food to his brothers who are in the army. I don't think I've ever preached the story of David and Goliath. Except in children's ministry. We do these outreach kind of streets drama things, especially when we have kids, and we get we love to get Goliath, and we'll get, like, somebody sitting on someone else's shoulder. Sometimes we venture to get, like, two people on top there, and we act it out and then fall down on the ground when David slings his the stone against Goliath, and the kids love it. But more than a good children's story, there's something in the heart of David that is jealous for the name of the Lord. That we need to appropriate, not relegate to our children as a nice story that can be acted out, but that we can live accordingly. 
Is there something in your life that you've been a little passive about that you need to pick a fight with the enemy? They say, no more. No more. Jesus paid for my victory. Jesus paid for my breakthrough. I'm not waiting passively for something to happen. But I want to say, I want to put the enemy on notice. This was the heart of David. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 17. We know in the story leading up to this that young David has come on the scene after Saul has displeased the Lord and not obeyed the Lord. And Samuel comes to him and he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. You should have done what I told you to do to deal with the enemy king according to the way that I had. And the Lord is lifting the anointing off of you and he will place the anointing upon another to become king. And then the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, go to Jesse's house. And you'll find amongst them one of his sons. And he went there and the sons were presented, but David was in the field being faithful in his father's field. Not recognized. Not brought up into the lineup to be presented before the prophet of the Lord to be anointed. He was faithful in the field, protecting the sheep. He was faithful in his father's field. That's how we find Elisha when Elijah calls him. He was faithful in his father's field, plowing amongst the oxen of 12 yoke of oxen, and he's with one of the oxes, faithful in his father's field. And out of the place of obscurity, Elijah comes and throws his mantle upon him. And David is faithful, defending his father's flocks from the predators. They're coming to take them out. And he was learning the ways of the Lord. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel, but he was also called the warrior king. And the very name of the Messiah and the identity of the promised Messiah would always be connected to David because of his heart after God and that he served the purpose of God in his generation. So Jesus is revealed in the end of the book of Revelation as the, both the root and the offspring of David. Amazing that his name gets linked to the very fullness of God's redemptive purposes. And then there's another situation as, as, as Saul is distressed by a demonic spirit and David is called to play the harp and, and there's peace that's brought into the throne room for a moment. But he's back in his father's field and one day his, his father speaks to him and says, hey, I want you to take this food to your brothers out on the front lines of the battle. And he shows up. Verse 23, and as they talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And earlier on in the chapter, he's taunting the armies of Israel. He's defying the armies of the Lord. He's standing as a giant in front of them, and he intimidates them both by standing tall, 
and he's described of what his armor is like and what his sword and his spear were like as he stood up as a menace and he shouted out and he taunted them both with his words and with his stature so that it says later on that their hearts were failing them for fear. And David, the shepherd boy, the day, David, the boy who was found faithful in the field, who had been anointed by Samuel as the least and as the youngest son. It says, from that moment, the spirit of the Lord was with him. And David shows up at the battle lines as the lunch boy, as the water boy, showing up. And his brother's like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. What are you doing? Go back home. Go back to the sheep. We'll, we'll continue. And all the men, verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Woo. Thank you, Lord. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? his brother saying, no, come on, Where did you, why did you come here? Get out of here. Verse 29, David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward the other and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. You see, there was a fear that was running through the ranks of the army. And it just took one question. One question to spark a little hope in the whole army. So much so that the word went right up throughout the army to the king. And the king called for David to appear before him. It just takes a question that says, who are you, O great mountain? Who are you, Goliath, to defy the armies of Israel, to defy the armies of the living God? Who are you? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And this word, this hope began to spread. Let me tell you, all we need is a few to stand up. A few that are willing to pick a fight with the enemy. A few that are saying, this has been enough. Enough is enough. This far and no more. No more ravaging of our children. No more deception. No more stealing. No more of, of sowing but not re, um, reaping a harvest from the Lord. We are calling upon our inheritance and our destiny in God. And we say, who are you, mountain? I don't know what the mountains are that you face here. I don't know what the mountains are. I know the ones that I face, that I'm standing before the Lord. And I'm saying, oh God, I need to hear the shout of the armies of heaven so that I can become a part of the army on earth that echoes that so that mountains can be leveled and the way can be made to move forward into our inheritance, into our promise. Verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. No one in the army was willing to fight. The odds were too high. 
if it was a man for a man, that meant that if the, the, the man who fought and failed would turn the rest of the army over to become the servants of the Philistines, they weren't willing to take the chance, to take the risk. But David wasn't focused on himself. He was focused. He was jealous for the name of the Lord. He was jealous for the glory of Israel. He said, I will go and fight for him. Sometimes we need to step out from our passivity and pick a fight with the enemy. To be able to say to someone who's weak that's next to you, you may not be able to do it now, but I want to fight on your behalf for your breakthrough. Maybe I don't know what my mountain is right now, but I see the mountain that you're struggling with getting through and overcoming, and I want to pick a fight with the enemy, and I want to say, how dare you defy the word of the Lord over my friend, over my family, over my church, over my city, over my neighborhood, over my town. Word of the Lord runs swiftly. Word of the Lord runs swiftly through our hearts. Pick us up from where we are. Pick us up and carry us by your word. Pick us up and carry us into our destiny. Pick us up, oh God. Pick us up, sweep us up by your word, oh Lord. Pick us up from where we are, Lord God. Put a fight in our spirits, oh Lord, that we will not succumb to the devices, to the lies of the enemy. In a moment, it just takes a question that the foundation of mountains are shaken. Who are you, oh great mountain? Come down. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. He was faithful with what had been given to him. He was faithful in his father's field. He had developed faithfulness inside of his life. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. You notice how he keeps saying uncircumcised Philistine? It's a little provocative, right? He's picking a fight. He's saying, we have the promises of God. We have been given the assurances of God. Come on, king. Come on, armies of Israel. It's been given to us. If we would seek him, if we would follow him, if we would obey him, he promised protection for us. You know, an interesting thing, when God told the Israelites to take the promised land, to cross over in the Jordan, and it was allotted to the tribes, their inheritance and their portion, it says you're to drive out the inhabitants of the land because I am giving you this land. And some did, and in some of the areas of inheritance, they didn't. And we say, oh, well, they failed to drive out the inhabitants of the land the Jebusites in Jerusalem and some of the Canaanites and the Philistines. And then they married their daughters. And when they married the daughters of the foreigners, they brought those idols into their homes. 
But there's an interesting verse in the books of Moses that says this. It says, but the Lord allowed some to remain in the land in order to test Israel when a generation would come that did not know war. You see, because the war, the battles have been fought for us to live according to the freedom that previous generations fought on our behalf, we become comfortable and complacent in. And so the Lord actually allowed some of those inhabitants of the land to stay so that it would keep Israel in a place of dependency on God. To keep Israel in a place where they were, Lord God, we need you to protect our borders. We need to walk in your ways. We need to be aligned with your word. We need to be aligned with your precepts, with your instructions. And the Lord allowed enemies in order that the generation that did not know war would remain strong in the Lord. That's why every time the Israel was to take a part of their inheritance, the word of the Lord would come and say, now be strong. And I'm preaching to myself for New England. And I'm preaching to you this morning to say that the word of the Lord is be strong. Be strong. Have courage. Engage the battle. Engage the fight. Do not shrink back. Do not listen. Do not be intimidated by the Goliaths. Do not be intimidated by the seeing of the eyes or the hearing of the ears. It says that the words caused their hearts to fail, the words of the giant, and that when they saw him, their hearts failed them for fear. Luke 21 says, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. This is a parallel as Goliath is raised up that there will be Goliaths in the last days, that men's hearts will be intimidated. They will fail them for fear. How, what is the solution, God? How can we live in such a time? What are the impossibilities? But the Lord has made us to stand strong to have courage, to engage the battle, to partner with heaven for the kingdom of God to become real on earth as it is in heaven. He's given it to us to fight for our inheritance, to take the land that he's promised for us. Not to be complacent, not to be comfortable because a previous generation secured some things that we're living in the victory of. The way that we can honor them is we live according to the victories of the battles that they won, but we fight our own battles for our day so that we have something to give to the next generation, to our children and our children's children. But there's always, until the coming of the Lord, until the coming in the fullness of the establishment of the kingdom, we are in a battle and a war. The good news is we know the end of the story. But let's not drop the charge in our generation. Don't pass us by. David fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation and went to sleep with his fathers. Father, give us that heart like David. Who is this? Who is this Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dare defy the name of the Lord? So David recounts his testimony of faithfulness. He, he strengthens himself in the Lord as he says, well, I learned in my father's field how to fight with my bare hands against a lion and a bear, and I overcome them. It says, it's, it's visceral language. It says, I grabbed it by the beard. You know, you grab something by the beard, you're going to get it angry. But David says, I grabbed it by the beard and overcame it. Oh. He wasn't chasing his tail. 
He wasn't like running in from behind. He faced it head on. He grabbed it by the beard and he overcame that lion. Now listen to how his testimony goes from his spiritual history in God of victory to catch the king's attention. But then he attributes where the power, the strength, the courage, the anointing comes from. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David understood that he needed to do something, but he was partnering together with the Lord. He wasn't waiting. Nothing had happened there. The Lord was looking for a man who would say yes. He was looking for a man who would believe. He was looking for a man who would stand in the face of the intimidation, the taunts, the threats, the words that were coming forth, and the intimidation of his frame as he stood up on that mountain across the valley of Elah to the other mountain where the Israelites were. He was, it would look bigger than he actually was probably at that time. He cast a big shadow on the side of that mountain. But he was looking for a man and said, who dare defy the name of the Lord? The Lord, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul says, okay, go, but, you know, take my armor here. Now, this is the deal. A couple chapters earlier, we learn that the Philistines, they were the ones who were the iron workers. And that there were no weapons in Israel. In fact, the Philistines in their raids had shut down all the blacksmiths. And so that the Israelites, in order to have their tools, their plowing implements, their pitchforks, and things like that, they would have to go to the five Philistine cities in order to have them sharpened. And there were no weapons for the people who showed up on the field as the army of Israel to support Saul and Jonathan. They didn't have the weapons that were needed. The enemy had capitalized on those natural weapons of warfare. Saul, the king, he has the best preserved for him, but the rest of the army doesn't. David says, no, it's not tested in my hand. What I know is how to fight a lion and a bear with a slingshot with a sling. That's where my testimony lies. That's where my experience in God lies. That's where I have seen the hand of the Lord. That's where I've seen so that when my hand moves, I feel the hand of the Lord upon my hand to be able to be faithful in the field that he has put me in. And so as I swung that stone around, the hand of the Lord was with me and helped me to conquer my enemies. And he says, these aren't tested in my hand. I don't know about your sword. I don't know about your armor. I don't know about your shield. And he goes down and he takes rocks. And he comes out. And Goliath continues to intimidate and taunt. Speak down to him. What, you're sending a child out to me with sticks and stones? And often... We hear that conversation and we give place to it. Maybe, maybe it's for somebody else. We've shown up 
at the front line. We said, yes, we want to move forward. We realize that the battle is the Lord's. But then as we are taking that step out from the rest of the company of people to take a risk, to do something great for the name of the Lord, all of a sudden the enemy comes with his taunts again before the battle is even engaged to take us out. And David lifts up his voice in response. And he wins the battle in this moment. It's sealed with the stone in the head of Goliath. But he wins the battle in the moment where he does not come under the taunts and the intimidation. Let me tell you, the enemy is seeking to intimidate, to paralyze God's people in this, in this hour. But when we take a risk, when we give God a chance to do something great through us, when we show up on the field and we take a step from the front line to engage the battle, he will show himself strong and his name will be glorified through us. But we have to persevere from through the intimidation of the enemy. All the good reasons why it won't work. All the rational thinking, oh, steady now. The words of well-meaning friends, of brothers, what are you doing here? Your place is with the sheep. You're just a youth. Whatever those intimidating lies to paralyze us, to get us to stop, to freeze, to turn around, to run home. The intimidation came like this. Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of heaven. The God of the armies of Israel whom you defied. Buddy, it's too late. You defied the name of the Lord. You defied the armies of Israel. And I come to you with that name. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. What are we asking for? Mountains to come down in our region, in our state, in our city, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Giants to come crashing down today. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. He's looking for those that will stand up, that will stand strong, that will show some courage, and that will take a risk, that the Lord will meet them at the moment of battle, and that the Lord will get the glory. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, he doesn't have a sword. He left the king's sword. He left the king's armor. I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear. And this is the key. For the battle is the Lord's. The battle was the Lord's because there was someone who showed up to declare it. God was waiting for a faithful son to show up and declare the truth of who he is as Adonai Tzavot, the Lord of the armies of heaven, and to bring that to bear upon that battlefield, he will give you into our hands. 
And we know the story. He slung the, the sling around with the stone in it, just like he had done in the field of faithful service in his father's house, in his father's fields. And the hand of the Lord was with David's hand as if they were one. There was something of a swirling in the atmosphere. There was something of a movement in the air that was aligning heaven and earth. There was something in that swinging around that was stirring up the atmosphere that said we're not hiding, we're not shrinking back, we're not our hearts are not failing us for fear, but we're mixing our faith together with the word of the Lord. We're mixing our faith to stir something up, to bring a tornado of the spiritual power and presence of God from the heavenlies down to earth. Horabas. Jesus. Do something a little crazy with me. Raise your right hand and just begin to stir the atmosphere. We're not just doing it in the physical. We're doing it in the spiritual. We're saying, Lord, something needs to shift. Something needs to break through. We need to mix up heaven and earth here together. We need to mix up the truth of heaven with your purposes, with your battle plans here in Palestine, Lord God. Here in this county, here in this state, Father, we ask, oh God, that you would awaken us to the movement of your spirit. We ask, oh God, that you would awaken us, that you would have courage. Be of good strength. Have courage. Be of good strength. For the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And he's mixing faith with obedience. He's mixing faith with obedience. He's enlarging your territory. He's, whoa, he's creating a space around your life where he can move, where heaven can touch down. You're establishing a border out from which the word of the Lord will go forth like an arrow into the heart of the enemy. Out of which the word of the Lord will go forth. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? Who are you, Goliath, in front of David, the servant of the Lord? Yes, and David slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face. He fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. You already have in your hand what is needed to overcome the enemy. You already have, out of faithfulness, out of obedience, what God has put in your hand. What has the Lord put in your hand? Use it in faith and obedience to defeat the enemy. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted. But before that, David ran. He ran to make sure he stood over him, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. He took the sword that was described of Goliath that was bigger than any man could yield except a giant. He took that very sword from him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The way of truth penetrating the lies, the way 
the ripple effect of victory and breakthrough, the way of testimonies manifesting is that they will ripple out and that there will be a fleeing of the enemy. If one took a stand for the nation and all of the enemy armies fled, how much more we, the people of God, take our stand on the places that he has positioned us and we see the rippling effect, we see the pushing back of the forces of darkness, we see the pushing back to the things that have prevented us from stepping in fully to our inheritance, not just for you and your family, not just for this church, but for this city and for this region. There are promises that are waiting for faithful men and women to lay a hold of and bring them to bear in this generation. Thank you, Lord. Now, many of you, most of you don't know me. This type of message is not my natural orientation. I'm a pretty chill guy. And I love the place of intimacy with the Lord above everything else. But the sweet psalmist of Israel was also a warrior. And what is birthed in the place of encounter, face to face with God, must take effect to push back the enemy and to destroy the works of the enemy and establish the kingdom of God. I remember we had a student that came to the GTS in Cyprus, and it was like three days into the orientation time, and we're out on a hike up in the mountains, and she came up to me, and she said, how come I hear you saying hallelujah all the time? Like, not just in the worship room, but just like throughout the day, and, and I hear the staff, and they're like, hallelujah. And I said, oh, that's easy. We live with the awareness of the presence of God surrounding us. And there's only one response that's due to his greatness, that's, a, that's appropriate for who he is. That's to give him praise. Hallelujah is a declaration in Hebrew that means to praise Yah. To praise God. It's a commandment to praise. And there's something of living in the place of encounter where we just say, Hallelujah. Praise to God. Praise Yah. Praise the name of the Lord. And that word for praise, there's, there's seven words that have to do with praise in Hebrew. But the one that's used the most amount of times, it's, it's 96 times in the Old Testament, is the word halal. And that word for praise means to boast. It means to boast Foolishly for the Lord. It means to shine, to shine the light on God, to shine the brilliance of light so that he gets center stage, so the spotlight goes on him. 
And there's something in our warfare by praise that brings breakthrough to us when we halal the Lord. When we live with halal on our lips, when we live in that place where it's ever on our lips, the, in the New Testament it says, this is the new covenant act of worship, praise on the lips of the righteous ones. Praise on the lips of the people of God. In our response to the lies of the enemy, our response to the intimidation that he wants to bring to paralyze us, to keep us from moving forward, is that there is a sound of praise on our lips that looks foolish to those that are only looking at one realm. It looks foolish, but if only their eyes were open to be able to see the other realm that is even more real, they would see like the, like the prophet said to a servant, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And he looked out and he saw chariots of fire surrounding them on the hillsides. In this story that we read in 1 Samuel 17, David was aware from the place of intimacy with God in the fields of the armies of heaven that were fighting on his behalf. But that God has linked his purposes on earth to his sons and his daughters to work in partnership together. And so out of a life of praise, he defied the enemy and he took the victory and the enemy's army fled Thank you, Lord. To praise, to be clamorously foolish, to make a show of it, to boast in the Lord. The scriptures speak of a lot of things that we're not to boast in. We're not to boast in men. We're not to boast in our flesh. We're not to boast in the strength of man or the strength of horses. We're not to boast in chariots. We're not to boast in idols. We're not to boast in our own wisdom, our own strength. We're not to boast in riches. We're not to boast in the law. But there's one type of boasting that we are required, and that word hallelujah is in the command form. It's saying corporately, it's in the plural, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise Yah. People of God, praise Him. Declare His praise. Declare His glory. And if we could stand to our feet today, the question that I want you to hear in your spirits and leave this place is, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, it shall become a plain. And in front of Goliath, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine who would defy the armies of God? But the way that we will enter into our breakthrough is through having halal on our lips. It's having praise in our mouth. It's having praise in our throats. Even before the band comes, can we just begin to lift up a shout of praise? Can we halal the Lord? Can we push back the armies? Oh, push back. Push back. Come down, mountains. Come down, mountains. Come on, come on, just release the sound of praise. Foolishly clamorous. It's like the clashing of cymbals. Foolishly clamorous to shine, to boast, to rave in the Lord. It's to halal, to rave in the Lord. 